I think people recognise that it's special now to eat out in a restaurant and that what they're paying for is not just the food on the plate, but it's the whole experience and to be sitting, sitting in a beautiful space and having somebody else make your food and pour your wine. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked a lot about career changes in and out of hospitality, but making big changes after a long career in another field can pose its challenges. But what are the benefits of bringing the know-how from another discipline into the hospitality game? Julia Picconi is the owner of Pentalina in Melbourne. Julia, how are you? I'm great, thanks, Huck. How are you? I'm really good. It's good to get you on the show. You've um, made the most incredible change of careers to great success. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack here, but tell us about that transition period. What was it like for you? Um, yeah, well, I probably didn't have the most conventional road to restauranteur compared to a lot of other people. Um, I came to it later in life. Uh, so I, I went through a few couple of different careers. So I, I was a lawyer for a few years and was working in public policy for the Victorian government uh, and then decided to open a restaurant. <laughs> so, uh, and I, and I'm, I'm not Italian. I have to own up despite, despite my surname. So that, that's a tribute to my, my ex-husband. So, and he's got an Italian background. Um, so I think I, I discovered that passion for the Italian culture and food as an adult. I, Actually, another one of my many career uh, explorations was as a singer. I, I, when I was younger, I wanted to be an opera singer. So I, I studied Italian language at uni while I was studying law. And I went over to Italy to, to study the Italian language further and immerse myself in the culture and the food and absolutely fell in love with with Italy and the food and the culture and the people and I just just loved it. That's where the seed for Pentalina was sown, I think, back and when I was I think I was about twenty, God, I feel really old now. <laughs> <laughs> well there's a there's a lot more to unpack than I than I realised. Um, that's an amazing transition. Before before we talk about what you have created, um, take us back to when you were young. Like, what sort of role did food play in your family? Not not coming from an Italian family. No, well, I'm like I said, I'm a true blue Aussie. I grew up in, in an Aussie family with English and Scottish Scottish heritage, um, and generate we're we're Aussies generations back. So. I mean, food did play a big part in our lives, but more that the English culture of the roast, the Sunday roast dinner. I think that that was our our thing, and I had a big, big extended family, and we'd get together and have you know, a roast dinner and good wine. We always, we always had good wine, even as kids. So sort of, they'd give us would give us a little taste of good wine. We probably shouldn't say that now. I'm not sure that's even allowed anymore. <laughs> but uh, we get get the little dessert wine glasses with a thimble full of red red wine. So. So yeah, it was all food. Food was always about getting people together and and sharing that big family atmosphere. So, um, and and that's what I love now. Uh, that food. It's not just about the taste of the food. It's about bringing people together and and establishing a community. I'm fascinated about this um, potential career as a singer and the sort of journey to Italy. Take us back to that time. Do you have any sort of stories of of the experiences that you had and the journey that you're on? Oh, it was 
I mean, my my ex and I we went travelling around a bit together in Italy. We went went all around actually, and uh, met up with a lot of his relatives or um, relatives of his friends, and just every everywhere you went, people the the Italians were so welcoming, and they they just open their homes to you and show you such amazing hospitality. And there was one night we arrived. We, we were travelling around Puglia in in the depths of winter, so it was dead because Puglia comes alive in summer, but it's a beach resort. So we arrived to stay um, with um, a lady that was the auntie of a, of a friend of Matt's. So, you know, just a very, very distant connection, but we arrived late at night and I think we'd already eaten dinner, but she she made a lasagna for us. So we had to sit down and eat this massive lasagna. <laughs> and then... Uh, and and then she brought out the the main course, the meat. <laughs> we were stopped, and she was cooking this roast meat on an open fireplace in the middle of winter. And what what do you do? Like we had to eat it. It was absolutely delicious, actually. So, <laughs> and just just the hospitality. Or there was another time we were travelling around around the mountains near Maranello in the north, and we just stopped at a tiny little village and the at a restaurant there, and the lady just. She was the restaurant was closed, but she said, oh, "Come in, off Fiji." So she just brought out whatever she had. I don't know, there was fried cheese and there was pasta, and uh, it just just the, the mentality of opening your their your home to somebody that, that needs food. I, I just loved it. So, and that, that's what we try and do at Pentolino. You know, whatever we've got, when we uh, we just shower people with hospitality, and it's about the spirit as well as the taste of the food. You mentioned, um, you know, a lot of your career, you worked as a lawyer and also within government as well, but you, you studied in, in Italy. Take, take us back to your studies in Italy and the experiences that you had there, particularly with food. Uh, well, I was in Florence studying Italian. So that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful town. And I was studying at an international school. So there were people from all over the world and Oh, it was, it was a great time. So every day I'd get up in the morning and go to school and have, have my my um, cappuccino. Back then I was having milky coffee, so I'd have my cappuccino on the way to to school. And and then the afternoon was free to explore and eat. I think I was eating a lot of pizza and pasta at the time. That's <laughs> what you do when you're young, <laughs> have a lot of carbs. So And walking around the, the town and finding little – little cafes and restaurants in the back streets. So it was just beautiful. And uh, I think I was, I think I had some distant relatives there that, that I would I would meet up with and have have dinner in their home. And uh, so it was amazing. Although I was there at the time of the Bisteca Fiorentina, um, sorry, that the Mucca Pazza, the, the mad cow disease. So, yeah, I, I was not having the... <laughs> I didn't get to have bistec of Fiorentino. It was not, um, yeah, that was, which was a shame. But uh, no, it's a beautiful city. You worked with the Victorian government um, as a senior policy advisor. Um, the the industry is known for a lot of red tape and a lot of uh, things, um, difficulties. You know, like in running a business. Did you see anything from your side of things in regards to restaurants before entering the hospitality market? Yeah, I did. It's interesting because the one of the last projects I did before switching to hospitality was managing a small business red tape project. So that was it, which was exploring 
uh, red tape across a number of industries. And the first industry we were looking at was retail, including restaurants. So I was, <laughs> it was funny, I was exploring the process of setting up a business um, from a government perspective, and then and I ended up doing it. And <laughs> so I'd seen, oh, you have to get your liquor license and your, your food food premises registration, and where's all the red tape? And uh, and one one of the outcomes of that project was setting up the small business concierge project for for um, councils. And then I was actually calling these concierge <laughs> these small concierges and during. During COVID, um, it was quite quite useful. It was really good. You could call up the the council, and there was a number to press to go straight to the small business concierge to help you navigate all the different areas of government. So that was great. That that was quite satisfying <laughs> to see that the work I had done had led to a direct benefit to me. So that was not not intentional, but no, it was good. But um, it was. Yeah, challenging to um, well, obviously when when COVID hit, to see what the government was doing in response and to COVID, and there was some good things they were, they were doing and some not good things that they were doing. So, was, the um, the Melbourne Money Initiative was a fabulous fabulous piece of policy design. So, five star congratulations to the government. I thought that was great. That had had the intended effect of bringing people to the city, particularly when they limited it just to the weeknights um, in this, the second round. So that was really, really useful for restaurants. We really saw an increase in customer numbers as soon as the Melbourne Money Initiative came in on, on weeknights. Um, but then the, oh, the the rent relief regulations, uh, that, a, that was, a look, a very challenging piece of policy design because the government had to balance the needs of the landlords and the tenants but and there were so many iterations of it. But uh, the latest iteration, I'm not sure I should go into it in too much detail. But yeah, I, I only just just still sorting that out now. Rent rent relief from the latest period. The, the, the rules that they brought in were just oh, talk, just unintended consequences and not communicated properly to to tenants um, or, or landlords probably. But yeah, just the. the they were based on comparing turnover in different periods of time. And then I found that I was comparing a period of time when I was closed two years ago. to So I couldn't even demonstrate a decline in turnover because I got closed in January 2020 and sending everyone off on annual leave. And here was I trying to demonstrate a decline in turnover and couldn't seem – the landlord said, well, you, there's, you got no decline because <laughs> you were closed. To you. So it was just yeah, a bit of a nightmare, but um, – yeah, like a difficult situation for landlords and tenants and the government, but yeah, feel like it could have been yeah, could have been handled and communicated a bit better to everyone. So I'm fascinated by the fact that you've been on both sides of the equation in regards to the red tape that sort of halts or um, business, small business. You know, in the position you're in now and, and looking back, are there things that you wish you knew back then or you understand now that you wish you had have known back in that role? Um, yeah, I guess sitting in an office for the government, you don't really understand <laughs> the, the implications of what the decisions that you make and the recommendations you make in the real world. I, uh, 
and especially just all, all the, the record-keeping requirements that government requires, like the food safety regulations, all these records you have to keep, it takes so much time, all this paperwork. And and most small business owners and, and employees, they don't, they don't want to spend they don't have the time to sit down writing records all the time. I mean, we have to, but it's it's just so much time when the margins in hospitality are so slim anyway. I mean, like I know obviously it's very important to have safe working environments and, and make safe food for people, and we do. We take that very seriously, but keeping a record, like writing things down is not necessarily the best way to do it. So... Tell us about this transition period. Like, when did you first sort of start to think about having your own restaurant? Um, so, well, that would have been a few years ago. And look, it was something my, my ex-husband and I, that we opened it together. So, and they, well, they, they say, um, they say it's always a risk to go into business with your partner. So, yeah, it didn't quite, didn't quite work out for us, but um but that's okay. Like he's he's moved back. He's moved home to Sydney now, so, so we're on good terms. But um, it's uh, I think I look on. I was looking for a career change, and and, and my Matt wanted to do this restaurant, and we we um, it was a good we we uh, it was a good way to um, use both of our skills and. And uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> here, I, here I am, a few years later. So, well, tell us about finding the site and and sort of putting together an, an Italian restaurant as you have. Yeah, it, to open up a restaurant in the Italian uh, in the Melbourne CBD, it's a uh, gosh, it's yeah, it really used all of my legal and diplomacy skills. And, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. Opening a restaurant is not just about cooking and serving customers. It's uh, yeah, it's a, to all the red tape you have to go through and to find the site and to get the lease signed and to get all the designs done and to wade through all the the government regulation and all of the uh, getting all of the mechanical mechanical set up and and uh, because we were in a Pentolinas in a residential buildings so we had to negotiate a lot of things with the owners corporation and make them happy as well so and getting it all set up in a very small space is is a logistical challenge and getting the grease trap in because we couldn't put the grease trap underground because of all the heritage requirements you can't actually dig underground in the city of melbourne without going through an archaeological approval process (laughs) which we, we ended up just putting in an above-ground grease trap, which leads to a lot of mechanical problems in the restaurant. And, yeah, power limitations on the electrical power to the restaurant, that was another challenge. We only had a limit. And uh, if you want to get more power in the city of Melbourne, it, uh, I mean, it takes a one to two years and $150,000. So we gave up on that in the end and just had to make do with what we <laughs> with what we had and, yeah, so there's all these things you don't think about when you um, when you're opening a restaurant. Uh, so, but we we got there in the end. Managed to get through every obstacle and get the place open. And um, yeah, a couple of years later, COVID hit. So, <laughs> so there's always something. Tell us about the offering. I know fresh pasta is really um, integral to to what you're doing. But tell us a little bit about the restaurant and what the offering is. 
So pentolina is the Italian word for little saucepan, and mm. that's that's how most of our food is made on the on the stovetop. So um, the head chef Gabriele Olivieri is an incredible chef. He's he's Italian. He's been working in kitchens since he was fifteen. So there's nothing he does not know about fresh pasta and Italian food. He's he's really amazing the food is top quality and what sets us apart as a couple of things firstly everything is made from scratch in-house fresh so there's there's no shortcuts um gabriele's got very exacting standards so everything that we serve is top quality and it's pentolina is a very small restaurant with an open kitchen so when you come to visit us you can see everything being made and everything being served and it's all straight from the kitchen to your plate. And because it's all open, it's almost like a theater. So you can see all the chefs in action and see everything that goes into your meal. Italians are known for their incredible hospitality. What was it like for you with the transition from government job to being in the hospitality sector and, and dealing with guests and, and showing hospitality? Oh, I feel like I found my calling, honestly. Like I... It's really good working for government, but oh, I just I just love being oh, the the rush of service, the adrenaline, the the showing hospitality to people. I just, I just love it, and I I feel like I found my tribe. Uh, I, yeah, I really love the Hospo community. They're a great bunch of people, and I've really found a, a great team at Pentolina. A few a few of the people have been here um, for years. I've got. I've got a couple of chefs that have been been with Pentolina for four years and a couple of other staff, like three and a half years. And a couple of, pe- couple of people that went during COVID and then came back. And so it's really been amazing. And that's what keeps us going through all the challenges, this core group of, of people, of staff that just have such passion for the place and our, our loyal customers as well. Because we, we fly under the radar at Pentolina. We don't get a lot of uh, coverage or recognition from the mainstream media. So we're a bit of a hidden gem. Uh, and we're also tucked down a laneway, so we're hard to find as well. <laughs> but, so all of our customer base is built through word of mouth, basically. Um, and our, our online presence, uh, our, we've got a high Google rating that's been built over a, a long time of of customer reviews and that's how people find us. I think the Google algorithm um, works in our favour. So a lot of people are searching for Best Pastor Melbourne and we pop up and so that's how we get new customers. And um, we really, like all of our staff are so passionate about providing the, a great experience for every single customer and giving that real personal service and that's what sets us apart, I think. The last couple of years have been challenging for, for everyone and particularly Melbourne's hospitality sector within Australia. But has there been um, some changes or benefits or alterations that have come out of this adversity for you? Oh, I feel like a dancer. I'm constantly pivoting. You know, where it's, every week there's a new challenge or the industry's changed. So, yeah. um, so at the moment we're, yeah, we're just struggling to – cope with the change in CBD working patterns. Um, so there's a lot less people in the city 
working now. So we have like, – it's so different to how it was before COVID where we, we were absolutely full every day. Now we have less people, but uh, people are, are looking for a more high-end experience. So it's not just about coming in for a quick pasta. It's about coming in for a full – Italian feast of multiple courses and fine wines and, and great customer service. So our lunchtime crowd is quite different from the dinner crowd. The lunchtime crowd is very much the corporates, the occasional tourists, but mainly just, just the corporates that work in the area looking for a great lunch with the team or to bring their clients and have a great business meeting. And then dinner time, we find it's a lot of people are not coming straight from work because they're not have, they're not going to work in the city much anymore. They're they're travelling in from the suburbs for a special night out. Um, especially on the weekends, Fridays and Saturdays, people they're still working at home or and they just they're just looking for a good restaurant for dinner. And they come come into the city, so that's good. We're getting a lot more pre theatre now that the theatres are back open, so that's good. What is it about Italian food and culture that, that grips you? Do you have any stories of, of your travels that sort of epitomise sort of the connections that you've made with it? I think it's just that, with, like I, th- I was explaining earlier, it's about the people and the families and you can travel anywhere you go and people just want to show you their, their own special recipes. I'm trying to think of, an, of another good example. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, food, food is not just about the taste. It's about, about the spirit and the, the history that goes into it. I guess I've travelled traveled all over Italy. Tell us about your role now. What, what do you really love about um, what you're doing and, um, and, and the restaurant and offering that to the market at the moment? Uh, I love I love seeing the customers enjoying themselves. I, I love working with with the team, um, and God, I really love the food. <laughs> it's really delicious. Um, I absolutely, absolutely love pasta and the flavors and the creativity. It's not just um, spaghetti bolognese. You, know, you can make there's some amazing pasta that our chef makes. So squidding spaghetti with seafood, I absolutely love. Oh, I really love the filled pastas that are made by hand. So on the menu at the moment, we've got an agnolotti f- filled with a rabbit and veal arrosto ragu. So it's a roasted uh, – he roasts up the rabbit and veal and then makes it into this amazing flavoursome ragu and then that's wrapped in the tortelli pasta and it's served up with this Jerusalem artichoke puree and Jerusalem artichoke chips, which have got a, a hint of sweetness to complement the, the veal and rabbit ragu. It's absolutely delicious. And it's something you would never make at home. So that, that's why you come to Pentolina for something something you can't make for yourself. You made a huge career change, but have been able to adapt and use the skill set that you had in, in another field. There's a lot of people been transitioning or thinking about changing careers in this sort of period of time. Do you have any advice for them on sort of making that transition and making it work? Uh, well, I feel like running a restaurant is the same as what I was doing in government, but just in a different context. So when I was working for government, was basically project management and people management. 
Um, so that's what I'm doing at the restaurant. I'm managing the, the project of the restaurant and ma- managing people. But this, the food is better. And, it's, <laughs> and, it's, and I drink a lot more alcohol. <laughs> it's, and it's, uh, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, it's a complete, completely different lifestyle. But um, no, I definitely used all the skills uh, from government and, and law and just put them into a different context. You said this move changed, uh, allowed you to find your people and, and your place. Um, has it changed your life, this change? Oh, ab- absolutely. It's a completely different lifestyle. It, it's, and it's, uh, they, they say that um, if you find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. So it feels like that sometimes. Not all the time. Some days it, do, it does feel like. Uh, when you're dealing with things like equipment breakdown, which seems to happen all the day, all the time, I'm you know, just having trouble with the dishwasher at the moment. <laughs> just, so you spend spend half your time just dealing with tradies and trying to find a technician to come and fix your dishwasher at short notice. So that feels like hard work. That feels like um, that, that that is the, the worst part of the job. And um the stress of dealing with with staff illness and trying to find replacement staff that is that's been really hard, but I'm getting used to that now because it's yeah it never re- really happened before COVID or the people being away on sick leave, but now people everyone's getting sick and you can't come if you got if staff get COVID obviously they've got to stay home for a week, um, or even if they don't have COVID but they've just got a regular cold and coughing everywhere then they've got to stay home, and and. You've got to find someone to replace them, otherwise you've got to start turning away customers. You can't. We can't serve customers with with no staff. It's, there's no point. It's not good for them, and it's not good for us. And it's damaging to our reputation if we can't provide a good service. So, so yeah, it's challenging as a restaurateur now in this post-COVID period because the labour costs of running a restaurant have gone way up. Because we, you've got this. There's always there's always somebody on sick leave. Uh, at any given time, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's five. There was a, a few weeks ago. There was a one weekend and where I literally had it was me and the bartender for front of house. <laughs> that was all. That's all we had. So that's all. Right. I managed to call. I managed to find three additional front of house people for for a Friday night. I found this the SUP app, which is really good to find people at short notice. And then I pulled in a couple of couple of friends. I'm like, please, you offered to help. Now is your night. So I had so I had what one friend who'd never worked as a section waiter before. I said, you're running the front section tonight. <laughs> and she was amazing. She was such a great job. And I had another guy came and I said, right, you're running food tonight. He'd never done that before. But but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had to step up, and it was amazing. Like because people care about the restaurant, and they they did their best, and we pulled through. And so, I'm I'm sure all restaurants have got stories like that. We just you just do the best you can. Um, we, we can't in a situation like that. You you can't be perfect, but we just hope the customers understand, and they do. I think they're really understanding that we can't can't always provide the absolutely outstanding service that we want to but we, we do the best we can so it's definitely been a bumpy ride in the last couple of years but you know society's opening up and the opportunities are opening up what are you looking forward to and are, are there positives sort of moving forward that you can see i think just it's great to see people coming out again and enjoying themselves and 
understanding that that it's really eating in a restaurant is not something you can take for granted anymore because we might be shut down (laughs) any moment but uh, I think people recognize that it's special now to eat out in a restaurant and that what they're paying for is not just the food on the plate but it's the whole experience and to be sitting sitting in a beautiful space and having somebody else make your food and pour your wine it's it's something something that we that they value more now um, and that that makes it special for us too well Julia uh, congratulations on what you've built there and um, we've it's been an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear your story uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon no worries Huck it's been a pleasure this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.